Welcome to GWC Podcast number 331, recorded July 8th, 2012. In this episode, we talk about some of our childhood toy experiences, our favorite toys, and how they affected us. But first, your hosts, three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, crap And with me, Audra Hester. If I had a nickel for every time I got boned at the Eye of Jupiter. And Sean (laughs) O'Hara. I shall fart. (laughs) Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say or, hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just holler at your MP3 player. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, extension 701. And leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show. Better yet, you can join the GWC community, a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi, and watching, reading, and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24-7 over on galacticwatercooler.com, our website, blog, and forum. GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm Chuck. Normally, you would expect to hear everyone, uh, Audra and Sean, with me, which is, of course, the way we normally do things. Uh, However, Audra and I are attending San Diego Comic-Con, which means that we're trying to get everything together and uh, load up podcasts for essentially two weeks for the entire network, which... I don't mind saying it was a little bit of fun. We actually had a hard time with it, uh, but we got them all loaded. Uh, one of the things that happened as well is that uh, we had some last-minute stuff come up, which threw our schedule off a little bit. So here's what ended up happening. Uh, the three of us got together, and we recorded the new segments that you normally hear for this podcast and uh, GWC podcast number 332. Uh, Then I got together individually with Audra and with Sean separately, and we recorded some additional bits for them, little segments, and I'm assembling them all together into what you get here. So you're getting the normal length of podcast with uh, the normal people, just in a little different combination and so on. I hope you enjoy it, Uh, and you'll get the same kind of thing next week in 332, and then... Audra and I will be back from Comic-Con, hopefully full of awesome Comic-Con stories, and uh, can talk about that. Everything will be back to normal. In the meantime, uh, if you are going to be at Comic-Con, we are going to do a little uh, podcast recording and get together. It's not a big deal. It's not like uh, uh, we don't expect a zillion people or anything. Everybody kind of has something going on. You know what? It's like New Year's Eve parties. You know how everybody has a New Year's Eve party and you always want to be careful because 
either you go to the New Year's Eve party or you hold a New Year's Eve party. And if you hold one, uh, you know, you're taking a step into a different kind of world from being able to go to them. We want to be able to go to them at uh, at San Diego. So what we usually do is a small sort of thing. Audra and I are there. Uh, we have a little portable rig with us, which is awesome. Uh, it's in a backpack and everything. And... Uh, we hook up in a cool little restaurant, and we usually with somewhere between five and thirty people, and we hang out and we kind of shoot the crap about various things, and uh, it ends up in one of the next podcasts, usually the one immediately following or the one afterwards. So uh, we're going to do that again this year, and that's happening Friday, July thirteenth at seven thirty p.m. And it's going to be at a place called Buster's Beach House, which is, if I remember correctly, I looked this up to be sure, but it's it's the same place we did last year, uh, which was a lot of fun. It had pretty cool food, and we had a nice little room they put us in. Uh, It's kind of right on the water, and it's essentially right behind, I think, either the Hilton or the Convention Center or one of those in that little area back down beside it. So it's definitely walking distance from uh, from the Convention Center and the hotels down there. Uh, and because it's near the convention center, that means you have access via uh, the the trolley or whatever and the public transportation. So anyway, if you would like to join us and hang out a little bit and uh, be in the next podcast, uh, actually the one after this, you can do that. Uh, again, Friday, July 13th, 7.30 p.m., Buster's Beach House. Also, if you would like to say hello to Audra or uh, myself, we will be on, in, and around uh, the con Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, probably the easiest way to find us, especially if you've never met us before, is via Twitter. I'm GWC Chuck. Uh, Audrey is GWC Audra on Twitter. And you can uh, just at message us. I mean, we're not so popular that we wouldn't see your message or anything <laughs> by any stretch. Uh, so just add messages and maybe we can hook up, you know, be fun. It'd be nice to meet you if you would like to be met. And uh, anyway, here we go with the podcast. Uh, first up, we've got the news. News. And now, Galactic. Water Cooler. So, who is up first? I go. Okay. Oh, are you sure you're not done blowing on the phone? Like it's a Nintendo cartridge? Oh, it is funny. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hard case and on my old iPhone It's shaped 3S. like a Nintendo cartridge? Yeah. Well, apparently. <laughs> it's so old. <laughs> it is. <laughs> How old is it? No, it's, Anything it's like manufactured a, in 1987 has to be blown on to work. Yeah. It's the 3GS uh, and it's got my Darth Vader phone cover that Chuck and I found when we were at the comic oh, book store. Oh, that was sweet. Yeah. yeah. Way it's back still in cool. The and it gets, the hard cases collect pocket lint. Uh, so more, the soft cases really <laughs> yeah they oh, all do yeah, they i've never right. had any but mine's the like a cases. rubber one and it uh, yeah it just collects pocket lint inside <laughs> the thing inside the little lip so you're i'm constantly just <laughs> you know after it rides in my pocket all day anyway um yeah i uh a couple weeks ago we reported on or i was saying that dragon's dogma uh came out and it's a uh, you know an rpg thing where uh the you know they it's another massive uh disc uh 
RPG that's came out for Xbox 360, or at least that's where I was going to get it. And I got it the other day okay, uh, as part of my early birthday present. Nice. Oh, sweet. And uh, yeah, actually it was a couple of GWCers who sent it to me and uh, I was like, oh, sweet. And it is the awesome. Yeah? Is, yeah. Dude, your birthday is in like a week. I know. Just a hair over a week. You know, incredibly, Sean was aware of that. <laughs> I'm just like, I was not. I was not. <laughs> you know, I, I know you for- usually forget your birthday each year, but, yeah. uh, you uh, know. Well, it was, I, I, uh, it arrived a couple <laughs> weeks early and then no, there was, you know, like the little note on it. They're like, we know we can't hide this from you, so we're just going to give Smart it to you. Yeah. people. <laughs> you know, and uh, so... I was I cracked. It I don't understand why more people don't adopt my solution and just buy some, you know, buy something for you at the last minute. <laughs> I would say buy the, some crap for you, but yeah, my you got to know me. And when I say crap, crap, he means really cool stuff. I that do. You I love, do that a lot, actually. I just Chuck has the the Kirk defense. You know, like when he was trapped in the in the cave with the monsters that could read your mind, and his his defense was like to. <laughs> you know, rapid emotion and not decide anything you know and he's like it, i always make up my mind at the last freaking second anyway so what the hell you're just making this up aren't you <laughs> yes i am do you do this often you know it, and he was uh, it was it was kind of cool so I, I immediately popped it over and i'm like i got a birthday present so i ran in there and started playing it it is really exceptional uh, the world is like more limited than Skyrim, and well, yeah, most uh, are. And it's not a oh, massive the real online world is more player. limited than Skyrim. Yeah. Right. But they finally <laughs> reality yeah. is more limited <laughs> than Skyrim. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> this is true, <laughs> except for the wounded in the knee bit. There's a lot yeah, of that, yeah. but uh, I don't they, know. The people are saying that in the real world more than they do in the game now. Man, you're not kidding. <laughs> I've heard that so many times, and it's like people who catch up with the meme. You know, and, and it they're like, just won't die. It's just, it's they should have like the, the Native American with a tear coming down that says like, <laughs> you know, wounded knee. I, I was at wounded knee before it was cool or something <laughs> like Native American hipster. I was at I was a wounded knee before it was a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, wow. But, <laughs> send Bad all your complaints <laughs> to Sean at Galactic. Insensitive joke. Check. Basketball uh, players. I took one to the knee before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cops. You know, oh. I, this week on cops, he takes one of the knee. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, they Rodney finally, f- they finally <laughs> figured out. <laughs> 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 he took several of the knee. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, they finally figured out <laughs> multiple. On <laughs> 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 the back, she took one of the knee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to be a skater before I took one of the knee. <laughs> it should be Tanya Harding's motto. I'm the one who gave it to you in the knee. (laughs) Not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place. (laughs) Actually, I guess that should be Joey Bonifuco's thing, not not hers. But anyway. That would be awesome. (laughs) See that, Aileen? Sorry, I I totally derailed you. I used to have sex, but then I I'm the one who gave you a shot in the knee. <laughs> How to take it too far by Galactic Water Cooler. <laughs> so this game, send arguments to Chuck. <laughs> uh, oh no, yeah. So so this, yeah, they always complain to me anyway. Um, no, they they finally figured out like you know because in uh, uh, Fable you can have somebody kind of traveling with you as like a glowing orb, and then you know they oh, that's cool. uh, every once in a while they materialize. Oh, and they're like and, dual player sections, do, yeah. Well, and this, they kind of removed all that. the The part you want with you is the person's character. 
not actually the person using them. You know, so what they did is they made uh, a pawn system. So like your main character is the the person going through and you are the arisen. Right. So your your job is to go kill this dragon. Well, along with you, they have an entire uh, <laughs> netherworld. That I am is, the arisen from Morningwood. <laughs> Sorry. They they have a cursed wood, a witch wood, a night wood. <laughs> I'm look. I'm desperately looking for the, Ar- for the morning. I know yeah. Morningwood is in there. It's got to be in there somewhere. But uh, so they have a pawn system. So you get one pawn that you can design yourself any way you want, and they can be any class. But you can have <gasps> two other pawns with you, and you can uh, at these stones you can go and recruit them that are other people's pawns. So your oh. pawn can go and serve with other people while you're asleep and offline, or uh, all that kind of thing. And so it's like day laborers at the Home Depot. You yes. go pick up a pawn. It's a little bit like that. You go pick up a pawn of any class or stuff that are other people's stuff, and you can rate them and give them gifts and uh, level them up and uh, all that kind of thing. Don't you for get that. We're just pawns, you and me, and Gunter's <laughs> sick little game. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you get all the experience of somebody else creating the character and doing all the things and setting them up, and then you can tell them what to do when they come with you, and you can uh, hire them or dismiss them anytime you want for any type of battle. So if you think you're going to need magic heavy, you can hire three pawns and then dismiss them after you're done. They give you he- help. <laughs> Help. <laughs> uh, so it's it's really cool. The combat system's uh, surprisingly simple, uh, but uh, pretty complex. But entertaining. Yeah. Why yeah. is it called Dragon Dog? Dragon's, Dragon's Dogma. Dogma. Yeah. I don't know. Is that the one? Is that the one I saw at? No, I, there was one I saw at Comic Con last year. I remember I took a picture and told you about it because it looked like a cool dragon game. No, it sounds awesome. I, I just imagine, like, when it says dogma, I imagine all these dragons that have become, like, the Ori, and they all wear these cloaks, and they go around, they're sort of pasty-faced, like, albino dragons, I, I and they try to get everyone to, like, And they meet Alanis Morissette, <laughs> who's well, God, every, at the end. Yeah. <laughs> every uh, time the dragon uh, comes back, there is an arisen soul who is the, it's the same arisen that keeps coming back to fight this dragon. And defeat him for a little bit longer. And the dragon takes your heart at the beginning. It, it identifies the Arisen, takes your heart. and um, then Shima. Um, and, Shima. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go confront the dragon to, to make it go away again. And uh, there's there's one born like every generation. And every generation the dragon comes. So it's this big endless loop. And the first part of the game, you are the Arisen from like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And you go and... Oh, that's cool. Kind of like an Assassin's Creed where you're like yeah. playing the... And uh, and then they kind of cancel each other out, and the game actually starts then, and you you create your new Arisen character and then go on to the deal. So it's it's really, I mean, it's one player, but you can interact with other players' characters That's and awesome. pawns and stuff I like, like that. that. It It's the easiest way of integrating kind of the larger world and getting the downloadable stuff and the other players' characters and, and stuff like that but you don't actually have to talk to other players which is great for me it's it's perfect as far as i'm concerned that's kind of cool it's like a double sort of like uh like i i i sort of always appreciated the way that you could play it was almost like they understood that people like us would hang out and play these games that are really single player games 
and they give you this sort of like people would bitch about how well in fable you know or these others you couldn't you can tag along but you can only interact a little bit it's not cool you should both be able to play the full game blah 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 and i'm like i don't want to play the full game you know yeah i like the idea of being able to like participate a little bit that's kind of fun i like that i would do that uh but but I think there's another mode of play I hadn't thought about, which is what you're talking about here, which is that you do kind of want to play together, but you just don't arrange all the time for it to work out. So you can do it asynchronously here, which is just Yeah, which is badass, super cool. And you, you know? can, like, you're, if your friends are uh, hooked up with you, or you can uh, you can go into the pawn menu uh, when you're in the Rift and look up your friends who have been playing the game and have their pawn. So you can, you can trade... Uh, each other's characters and and stuff like that. So it's super cool. Uh, You can also favorite pawns and rate them and and (laughs) give them stuff. So uh, if you want, you can send your pawn. Like if you want to give your buddy a bunch of stuff, you just load the pawn up and then send them back through the rift. Nice. Uh, So it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Uh, you know, but, this, this is kind of a simple concept, but I wonder if that asynchronous playing, like people have been asynchronously playing games for yeah, a long time. Just like, by mail. Yeah, just sure. by mail. And uh, like words with friends and all those types of, you know, draw something. Yeah, hell yeah. It's kind of cool that, that that basic idea of being able to play with your friends when you have time to do it is still around and still kind of making its way through all the technology and everything. It's cool. I have to know why you wrote the words, no mermaids on the board <laughs> what, what the hell is that about yeah, i heard about this the other day and uh, i picked up the news story the um the national oceanic and atmospheric administration the, Noah, uh, the, like uh, the, the people US that do U- weather alerts right right tell the, you your the, house is about to get blown away and stuff exactly in Texas. important things yeah admiral i'm receiving whale song uh th- this branch uh, or this you know government agency uh had to actually make a formal announcement that no mermaids or, you know, mer people have ever been observed and do not Did exist. Did they actually it, use the word mer people? Uh, <laughs> mer. Um, well, let's see. I can give you the, the quote. Uh, the background is uh, there was a segment on Animal Planet called Mermaids, the Body Found. And it showed cave drawings and weird, like... Uh, sonar readings that. and actually, you know, I'm, what? I'm getting this off a of blaster. Really, the, the cave drawings were of people, but the, <laughs> but they were drawn by a prehistoric, like four year old who didn't quite understand the whole body no, was, thing. It was yet. a graphic novel, a fantasy novel. You know? So it was kind of it was kind of like you know just stick sticks with you know some kinkster from back in the caveman days like yeah i want a chick with a tail you know <laughs> that's totally. the stupid way around <laughs> <laughs> i wish she was a fish on the top <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i guess this uh this segment on animal planet was meant to be science fiction speculative oh yeah no it was a total you know? like kind of mockumentary <laughs> type thing where they're they're sort of like they did a couple years ago with dragons right you know the the history and documentary of dragons they did it with mermaids this time yeah and i wonder if uh prometheus because of the cave paintings you know if people started going back to cave paintings is like you know this could be a sign dude people are into cave paintings let's, <laughs> yeah. let's do some of that cave painting cave crap are back in. <laughs> it's capitalized um the government's response uh quote are mermaids real? No evidence of aquatic humanoids has ever been found. Wow. Why then do they occupy the collective unconscious of nearly all seafaring peoples? That's a question best left to historians, philosophers, and anthropologists. Uh, wow. But there are a lot of people who think that 
That was kind of a knee-jerk response you had all prepared. You know what? <laughs> Why yeah, so knee-jerk knee, if there are no... <laughs> knee-jerk response you had all prepared. You know, the funny thing is... Oh, I, my bad. Now, now I picture like, uh, since we've been watching Parks and Rec, I, I totally picture like government, this government agency with these people sitting around, like spending a, a whole day... We like, need to respond to the mermaid issue. Yeah, they had like meetings, they booked conference rooms, and they're like talking about it. They're like it, the SETI people in government, they figu- kind of... You know, nothing much ever happens, but it's their job to. Yeah. And one day something really actually, (laughs) Noah does a ton of cool stuff. You know, we were like, they provide the weather alerts here. I mean, a lot of the weather service that you have. They do uh, oceanic, uh, volcanic Mm. activity. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff stuff is significant. You wouldn't. Yeah. They, they track a bunch. When you think about it, it's kind of amazing how little, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm, I mean, I don't know anything about most of the planet that is existing underwater around us. Like, there's an entire ecosystem. Most of us don't know, know anything about But you know what I'm saying? Like, like, we don't know very much at all. I mean, we're just trying to grasp basic geography, like where's, you I know, thought that's why- where's Iran and stuff like that. And then there's this entire ecosystem, like most of the planet exists yeah, underwater and we just don't know anything about it. That's why Sequest had so much potential, you know? Because that was one, of, I think, one of the sub-premises of the show. It, it ended up really more focused on po- politics and kind of a bad near-future political view of the world that didn't really work out and stuff and play out with the it time changing. did invent changing. the internet, though. Uh, <clears throat> the, yeah. <laughs> they and uh, Al Gore. Al Gore and, no, and but, I mean, but the funny thing is, um, the show really, I thought, the part that kind of excited me at the beginning and then i didn't watch it as much when it it was more political um was the idea that that we have all these shows exploring space and we haven't really explored the depths of the oceans in our own planet yeah the like and freaky could, scary stuff that's going on yeah here. you could i think that the, the concept is still a good one you could have a show that is every bit as cool as like star trek and stuff exploring underwater you know that would be really cool yeah it's awesome. I would watch I, that. I would. I mean, I have to make kind of a a plug for my favorite magazine right now, which is Smithsonian. You guys should check it out because they cover stuff like that. You know, like when they discovered cool. when I, they discovered the Titanoboa snake, biggest snake fossil ever discovered. It's like ten times the size of the biggest snake that we had any evidence ever existed on Earth. I mean, it's just incredible, and they're finding this stuff all the time. Like right now. You know, every year, like, to just pay attention to the news and, you know, people are digging up new, like, shipwrecks and fossils and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, my favorite one, we have the Smithsonian one from when they uh, they discovered the, that giant squid or whatever it was yeah. were real. Yeah. And that this is entirely possible. They're super aggressive and that if they saw a Spanish galleon or an old ship or, or something like that, you know, wind pout, they would be an easy target for that. And it could theoretically take one down. Uh, just swallow it. Just, yeah. just <laughs> crack it in half and drag it to the bottom. It could very possibly do that. And they were super aggressive. And, you know, so all these stories of giant squids that these, these sailors have been telling through the history of maritime, may actually be true it's awesome too if you look because the, they were uh, sailing directly in what they think is now their active breeding grounds yeah. and all that kind of stuff squid alley yeah they're like crap <laughs> i saw the food uh, uh issue of smithsonian yeah yeah that it was, was like how the chicken conquered the world on the cover 
Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. they took a, a, an old painting Sean. of Henry VIII and replaced the head with a, yeah, a rooster. It was like a rooster. <laughs> nice. It was all about how everybody eats chicken all over the world. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was good. There was good stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, the sad thing is I, I, I had a piece of news that I wanted to bring in actually that ties right into yours. You were talking about SETI. Uh, did you see that a number of, of news outlets have been carrying this piece, uh, this Australian piece on... Uh, uh, on how SETI is apparently just really hurting financially. Um, yeah, they're saying that this piece, uh, this Australian article said that um, uh, in even though the, apparently SETI only needs like $2 million a year or something to, to continue the projects that they're working on, um, which is dick all, as they point out, in terms of the space industry. Funding, yeah. Either, well, yeah. government... Uh, or even the the civilian space industry too. It's like a joke. It's nothing. Um, and despite only needing like two million a year, they're just like dying financially. That is that is sad. That's just wrong. You know, uh, I, they talk in the article about how if if all the people who are interested parties just donated like ten bucks, and you can, and I don't have the address right on me, but if you look. Um, there are a number of uh, like uh, we did SETI at home a while back. If you look at yeah, the SETI yeah. at home what site, what do do? Uh, they have they have links to it and everything, and to where you can donate to to be a part of the program and everything, and to keep things going. And you know, I'm going to go this week and just make a little ten dollar donation because it's nothing. It's not going to affect me a whit. And uh, I think if everybody who gives a damn about SETI just went ahead and uh, kicked a couple of bucks in like that. You could actually make a difference is what they're saying. It's not like, you know, going to the moon that costs billions and billions of dollars. It's, you know, the possibility of keeping up a look to see what might be out there for, you know, 10 freaking bucks. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I mean, who else is looking? Yeah, no kidding. Nobody I mean, cares. Some backyard you know, astronomers or whatever. Yeah, I mean... I appreciate the new focus on on space travel. I don't know if you guys have noticed too, but the news has been really loaded with uh, um, recently with the whole. Uh, you know, it, it used to be that uh, that Rutan was like essentially the uh, uh, the only one to be pushing into that with with Virgin Galactic and everything. Sure, uh, but but then we saw. Uh, with with the uh, current administration's like shift of uh, government shift of money uh, uh, to the public sector in terms of NASA contracts and mm-hmm. contracts to service the space station and things like that, and we saw uh, we saw the first uh, civilian trip to the space station uh, recently. It was unmanned, but they have a capsule shortly behind. Plus. Uh, the the government has been modifying the uh, um, I forget what it was called now because this is off the top of my head I didn't write all this down, but their uh, their their updated manned program that was going to use a, a, a simple booster mm-hmm. they're adjusting it now to work with commercial boosters which are now becoming available uh, because there's money to to be had in getting things to low Earth orbit. All of this kick started. Uh, we're going to see the first non commercial I mean the first commercial manned. Uh, orbital space flight probably in the next year, year and a half max. Nice. Um, and the, the, these, you remember how uh, people were talking about inflatable like space hotels and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody thought they were just wacko, you know, and bat crab crazy and everything. All of a sudden, not bat crab crazy. 
people are starting to say, holy crap, we're going to have orbital flights that are, uh, you know, under, you know, $10 million. <laughs> so Wally's starting to come true in the spaceways too. <laughs> right? Well, it's like we're getting enough people, enough availability now that, you know, there, there's actually been slightly more interest in space tourism, even at the $20 million level. Uh, for orbital flights, then the space station, the ISS can really support it. It was never made as a hotel, you know. People are starting to say, hey, we need one of these. And I know it's only a few people, but that means in 10, 15, 20 years, you and I will be going, you know, like we go no, to. You will be going. Um, <laughs> I will not be going. Yeah. They don't have Dr. Pepper in space. <laughs> <laughs> That's really exciting to me, but I don't want to do that uh, in exchange for something like SETI, and I don't think we have to. You know, I don't I think it's just because people have gotten excited and forgotten about it. Not that uh, not that we have to choose, you know, and you don't need 20 million dollars, apparently, to support SETI. You and I can do it on a, you know, on a not rich person's budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good call. So. Uh, yeah, I'm not really it, as you know, I, I have no desire to leave uh, <laughs> the planet, but there's. There's a great deal. Like I've always been, like we were talking about earlier, fascinated with oceans. I I want to go down before I go up. Right. Know? Okay. Uh, Fair enough. It was. I always find that stuff interesting because there's there's a lot of history down there and everything. But the the whole thing that really gets me with the the space deal is is obviously there's nobody close for us to talk to right well, now. Yeah, and we know that. Seti's the only one looking far, you know, or as far as we can look. Uh, for those type of things. And, and it's, it's kind of sad that that would not be uh, at least hooked into somebody's program or hooked into somebody's funding and everything. Like you, you always need to cover the, you know, there's the short stuff, which is around our planet. There's the medium stuff where we're, you know, let's, let's sling one out the solar system and, <laughs> right. and see what happens, uh, which is, I, I read somewhere now that they're coming up against the, what is that? That, that solar shield thing. Yeah. Right now and going into the uh, outer, I guess uh, outer Neutral protection. Sun? Well, sort of. Uh, it's it's kind of you know the the sun projects this whole like sphere of of radiation that keeps the big solar winds from ripping everything to shreds. Right. Well, Are you talking about sun farts. Is this uh, Voyager no, no, no. or Pioneer? I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember. So, I, they've got one is is a couple hundred million. I'm gonna go check miles that out, in though. front of the other one or whatever it is. Right. But the, yeah, there's two of them, and they shot it at the you know how the it's shaped like an egg, right? Right. And we're at one side, and they shot them out towards the cold side so they could get to the solar winds faster. Nice. And instead of just going out where we we know there's a bunch of protection, it fascinates me that something that scientists did, you know, 20 years ago, had a plan that long range to where we're still benefiting from yeah, it. Yeah. That's awesome. We have never had a man-made object leave the sun's protective kind of little, I won't say atmosphere, but protective radiation, radiation shield. And a man-made object is, is going to in our lifetime, hit the solar winds. It's badass, and be reporting back. So it's kind of cool. All right. So next up here, uh, Sean and I sat down for a little bit and we talked about some of the toys that we had when we were kids 
and uh, what we enjoyed about them, which kind of, you know, which Sean and I, the way this stuff normally works, if you've ever listened to any of the Sean and I podcasts, like the Tool Talk podcast we used to do for Toolmonger way back in the day, uh, we end up shooting the crap about cars, about our first cars. Uh, we end up talking about uh, remote control cars and remote controlled airplanes and model rocketry. You get space camp stories. It's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy uh, and it's cool. Sean and I don't get to sit down and just shoot the crap much anymore. We both have really busy schedules. So uh, we both got a big kick out of this and hope you do too. What's interesting about toys is they... They seem to, to la- I mean, good ones, I mean, maybe even some <laughs> crappy ones, but uh, they seem to last a lot longer than people give them credit for. Like you, you buy something at the store and you're, you're thinking, oh, my kid will like this or, you know, oh, they've been really wanting this or something like that. It really what you don't, and they, they deal with this a little bit in Toy Story, right? <laughs> Where these toys, some of them are way old, like they were generations old. And they still give a lot of, you know, a lot of education, a lot of laughter, a lot of uh, value to to kids. But you don't really get that when you're sitting at the toy store or wherever you pick it up, and you're just like, oh, uh, they want this, you know. Uh, case in point, I have a bunch of Hot Wheels that man I played with forever when I was a kid. I'm thirty, you know, mid thirties. And some of them came from my dad and my uncle uh, since Hot Wheels began. You know, I mean, I've got some old stuff. I've got stuff from the 80s and, you know, when I was a kid and everything. And now they have landed in a big bag on my daughter's floor. <laughs> and she plays with them the same as everything else. And she's got hers from her generation, wow. mine from mine, and some of my dad's. I my, was just not that organized. See, like... When I think about durability, you're absolutely right when it comes to Hot Wheels. Because I remember having this, and I think it must, I'm trying to think what it was. It was a kind of boxy uh, two-door sedan. So it was probably like a Monte Carlo SS or something like mm-hmm. that, or a tricked-out Monte Carlo that was like the SS. Very popular was, in Hot Wheels back in the day. Yeah. I had one that was red. And uh, I remember I went to school in Archer City, the little town of Archer City, which had a high school and an elementary school all in the same place kind of like yours yeah kind of like Crumb. Uh, but i was in elementary school uh when you whereas i think i was in middle school and high school right yeah. and uh anyway i remember one of the buildings had like uh, my mom taught there so i i i would get there early every morning and leave late you know and one of the buildings we used to call them adobe buildings because they had the plaster inside of them they look like that and it was funny as a kid, it was funny. It's not that funny now, I guess. But we, we used to go up to the second floor and uh, uh, and even the third floor later and open the window. And I one time I, I threw this car, Hot Wheels car, out of it. You know, I jumped it out the window. It was like Dukes of Hazzard. Oh, oh sure. Except it was like, pow. And I'm like, oh, crap. I broke it. I went down. and didn't break it. And I'm like, huh. I wonder how many times I can do that. A lot. I threw it like 30 times and it got all beat up and scratched up and stuff and dented a bit, but it, the wheels still worked and it rolled and it was totally playable. 
And uh, holy crap. And you know what? I don't have any Hot Wheels cars because I just lost them all because I can't keep <laughs> anything. I'm sure they're all completely intact. You know, they survive. Wherever they are, war. they're fine. Yeah, just not. There's some flea market somewhere, you know, dirt mall. Yeah, well, and they, they do. They travel, you know, stuff like that. I mean, if you think about it, it's a lar- or it's a small, well-made metal form. Yeah. With a shock-resistant plastic and, and hard plastic wheels with a metal axle. Holy crap, yeah. If you could make anything more durable, I've never seen it. <laughs> and these things survive all kinds of stuff. Well, I had, because uh, my dad collected a bunch of Hot Wheels and stuff, and because and, his dad loved them. You know, so he would give them a bunch when he was a kid, a bunch. Every time he came home, he had a new one because he was fascinated with them. He's like, they didn't roll like this when I was a kid, you know? So he he got a bunch. So I had some from the 60s and 70s. And they played just like the rest of mine. It was fine. They rolled the same way. The wheels weren't quite as cool. Now, he had more Matchbox than Hot Wheels, uh, which I'm not sure who was first, but whoever. It doesn't really matter. Um, But, you know, you could flip them over and learn about the cars. Oh, yeah. Because it would... Back then, they would tell you exactly what it is. You know, Chevy Monte Carlo, you know, Ford Mustang. Mine probably did. I just don't remember it. I, I had to think back. I can picture the car and the throwing it out the window and everything, but I don't remember. Like, yeah, you know, and but they would tell you at the bottom what they were, and, and you could learn about that, right? And I remember I knew what a lot of the cars were, even though I'd never seen one in real life because I had a Matchbox or a Hot Wheels. That's other. awesome. And it you know, was kind of cool. I have this gap. I'm pretty good with cars. Audrey isn't, so she's always like, "What kind of car is that?" Because she kind of thinks it's cool. I guess that I, I know them. I, I'm the same way. She knows history and you know useful things. Yeah. You know, whereas I can identify cars. That's that's very important. <laughs> in super the world. relevant. Yeah, yeah, it's super handy at college and everything. <laughs> but like, uh, I uh, I have this big gap. I discover she's like, "What? What is that?" And uh, I have this gap up till like 1955, probably. I can't recognize any of them. They all look the same to me. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that's not true. I can recognize a Model A and a Model T. Yeah. But when it comes to like... A uh, Tucker versus a Mercury. I can recognize screwed. a Tucker because I saw the movie. <laughs> and it's very unique. It's got the light. Yeah, 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 sure. But like, uh, you know, the vast majority of cars. If you were going to tell an Oldsmobile and a Buick apart in 1945, <laughs> you'd be screwed. In, uh, in, yeah, me in, too. In fact, in <laughs> fact, I might get lucky because I know about the straight eight. Yeah. You know, and that was pretty rare. And I remember well, walking. You, you could tell a Duesenberg. What, what like from, uh, yeah, that's. From a Chevy? Yeah, you could tell a doozy. Maybe. Oh, yeah, you'd know a doozy. Well, it had the big pipes on the side. It had those eight pipes on the so side. So did a cord, you know. Well, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't anywhere close to the same shape. Yeah, I guess that's true. But the thing is, is there could be the problem is, yeah, I know that one. There could be like three others that look similar, which is not uncommon. And pff, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know squat. I mean, from like late fifties on, I'm pretty good. Like uh, we saw, uh, we were driving next to a Mustang convertible, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. And Andre's like why and i'm like well it's a it's a 66 mm-hmm. and uh man that's really freaking old right now that's like you know well they changed the tail lights in 67 right? 45 yeah well the whole back end's different 67 the yeah. trick is telling the difference between 65 and 66 which are virtually identical except that the 66 has the fingers on the little mm-hmm. fake scoop on the side and the 65 does not 
things like that. I mean, uh, we had a 65, so, you know. Yeah, there's the difference. Yeah. So, like, you know, you learn things, too, like uh, the V8s have five-bolt wheels. Yeah. So you can tell the difference, you know. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you'd be like, no, it's sitting still, and you're like, no, that's the six. Yeah. And but I mean all kinds. Of, I'm full of all kinds of crap like that. But 30s, pff, it's a car. Yeah, <laughs> it's a motor carriage. It's, it's a 1930s-ish car. Audra and I have about the same level of knowledge when it comes to. Them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I didn't know. I wasn't even alive in some of the 50s and the 60s, but I knew what the cars were because I had Matchbox and Hot Wheels. Maybe it's them. because the 30s cars were not popular in Matchbox or or Hot Wheels. I don't even know they have them I back then. If that's a, no, I mean, during no, I mean, the time we had... That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, that's what I'm they saying. If they them? did, psh, I didn't know. The only one I ever had that, that was that kind of yearage in Hot Wheels is a, is a chopped and channeled Merc in Hot Wheels, which was really cool. And it was like a ZZ Top special. Hell yeah. I had a lot of I had a lot of Hot Wheels and a lot of Matchbox. And they I would get the special cars because my mom actually loved them. Uh, she loved to see them and everything because she played with them when she was a kid because her Uncle Jack uh, was a mechanic. And apparently, super cool. He built them all their first cars and maintained them wow, until they, that's awesome. they got out of college. Um, in fact, three of my grandfather's children all named their kid some version of Jack after this dude. That's awesome. Uh, I didn't know that. I knew there were a lot of people named Jack in the family. Yeah, there's a know. there's a Jackson who is you know uh, Jack Jackson. Yeah, he's he's a. Jack Myers, uh, or Jackson Myers, and then we have uh, uh, Jackie, who is oh, yeah. my cousin, and Jacqueline, who goes by Jack. Uh, and then they're so cool. <laughs> the people were named after them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Damn straight. It's a big family name, but it all stems from this one dude who was a mechanic and built them all their first cars. Well, what do you want? Well, I want this. Well, you can't have that. That's nice. But you want something a little sporty that uh, has four seats because you're going to drag your friends around. Okay, so we built my mom a 57 Bel Air. Wow. Uh, just out of stuff and everything. That I it can was, recognize. Yeah, it was kind of cool. He built my my uh, my other Aunt Pat like a 71 Nova. Uh, <laughs> Ahead of his time. Yeah, I mean, he, he had great taste. and They all had V8s. He's like, well, I don't do sixes. You want eights. He knew how to work on them. That's yeah, that's why. why. Yeah, he, he wanted that. eights, you know. A lot to be said for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he built my uh, Terry a Hemakuda. You know? Really? Yeah. But, you know, you got to remember. But that was in 78. I, I was going to say, that was the, on the early, that was on the, the pre-hipster yeah. era when, oh, yeah. before they were cool. Like, before uh, they were cool. When they were most like, muscle cars, people forget, are cool because they uh, they were cars that you like. Were well, your mom's your car? Your mom's or car with a big engine. They were practical. They had a big engine that you was could easy trick to trick them out yeah. to pull the horses out. Right, and then uh, and then the factory started doing it a little bit at the very end, and then they died out, and they became extremely popular. So that was the kind of thing that wow, just he's he's awesome. Yeah, he was kind of ahead of his time on that. I mean, I, they didn't even really start to get popular because I had a seventy-one Roadrunner. I pulled it out of a junkyard for a grand. Yeah, you know, because nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody wanted it. it, it they didn't care. Now you couldn't touch one no, for under fifty. No, you well, know, you probably a nice could one. Now, no, no, but, out of a junkyard, sure, but oh, a nice yeah. one. No, you couldn't yeah. touch one for under fifty. But anyway, hey, incidentally, my dad was the same way with my first car. Now he he didn't have he wasn't a professional mechanic, so he didn't have like the 
equipment and time to like completely like trick one out and everything. Sure. But I remember like most parents, he was, you know, are either like, I'm buying you a brand new Mustang, you know, <laughs> or, in my house. <laughs> or they're like, or they're on the other side where they're like, you will drive this crap because I want to control you in a new way. There's my house. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, my dad was neither of those. Um, he, he said, uh, uh, well, what kind of car do you want? You know? And I'm like. I want a Ferrari, you know, like whatever at the time. And he's well, like, and, yeah, that's well, my answer. Like a, a Corvette. And he's like, you can't have a Corvette. Obviously that's name brand. You and you, yeah, you can't. He's do like, that. let's face it. This is your first car. I mean, I'm not trying to mess with you, but you're going to, you're going to trash it. Uh, we're going to get something cheap. You know, it's going to, it's not going to be garbage. We're going to get you something that's, you know, as cool as we can with the money, you know, but, uh, but man, there's a lot of choice. What do you want? You know? And, uh, uh he found this 280Z. That was a, it was a 77 280Z and it was an automatic, uh, which was probably good for me though, early on like that. And, uh, man, it was, uh, it was that light blue, real faded. It had issues and stuff. And, uh, I think he paid a couple of grand for it. You know, it ran and we fixed a few things with it and then fixed more things later. And I did trash it indeed. And we fixed that up <laughs> as well as you teenagers do. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a judgment. You know, when you say that it just happens, you know, yeah. it's going to happen. Every kid messes up their first car or something. Hell yeah. You know, you, know, you just hope to survive it. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Put enough steel and safety equipment between you and whatever stupid crap you did that hopefully you'll, you'll walk away, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. That was in the mid eighties and it was a 78. So it wasn't new, but it wasn't ancient and it was kind of fun. It was a real cool car. I remember it very fondly. Yeah. And, you know, and those things have it like my uncle, my great uncle Jack bought or uh, built a 68 firebird for my aunt Terry. Cause she wanted, she was the one who wanted the vet. She desperately <sighs> wanted a vet. And he's nice. like, look, you can't have a vet. Wow. Right? It's too expensive. You're going to mess it up. Your uncle Jack was my uncle. Jack. <laughs> but you want something fast. Fine. If you can wait a year, she was 16. If you can wait a year, I will build you something cool. Okay. And she's like, fine. So she took the bus and rode with my mom and, and everything, who is a couple years older. My mom's the oldest, a couple years older than her. And he presented her on her 17th birthday with a Firebird that he built. It was a 68 Firebird. And he didn't like a lot of the safety features in it because they really were pretty unsafe for, for a lot of that time. So uh, he had seats that um, had the extra big headrest in it. Uh, he adjusted the seat belt because she was itty-bitty tiny. And so it would hold her. Uh, he, he made the steering wheel adjustable so she could have it. And it was, it was further away from her. So she wouldn't smack her head in I and mean, they have airbags in, uh, but he yeah, did all totally. this. Uh, I was thinking it would be, there are a number of telescoping, uh, 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 steering columns. Yeah. Sadly, this is before they realized that, uh, the straight steering columns would spear you. Yeah. And yeah, well, this, that, he, he didn't put a uh, straight steering column in it. It was one of the, uh, the, you know, the tilt type. Yeah. The tilt type. Wow. Nice. And uh, that because he, he didn't like the steering ones either. A friend of his got killed and speared by a, a steering wheel. Yeah, the Mustang was the worst actually. The sixty five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so he's like, "Well, also we're not the, doing that. You're you're getting tilt." So Fairmont he, that they made it from. I yeah, can't remember. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, but uh, the but he pulled that out and then he put discs on the back. I mean, it was wow. a, it was ahead of its time, you know. And she drove that car for fifteen years, uh, but. That's the kind of thing, and you have those those connections with with that. So, long story 
long story short, my <laughs> mother collects Smashbox cars, always has. She had a fascination with them, you know. And uh, one of the prized ones she has was the car that Michael Jack built and drove till the day he died, which was the DeSoto. And he he found So it. they did make them. Yeah, well, apparently, you know. <laughs> we just didn't like them, I guess. We just didn't like them. So, yeah, he had one, huh. and he found it somewhere. I don't know where the hell he found it. He pulled it out of some some auction or estate or something like that. It was, it was very rare, even then. And uh, so he... He fixed that up and said, well, this is the car I drive. I, I like this one. And that's it. I mean, he builds awesome. you anything you want. But she's got uh, a DeSoto. Uh, it was uh, it was like come out of a uh, rare kind of matchbox car pack. And she's got one, and it's in a little glass case. And uh, she's, she's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. I played with it once, and it got a scratch on it. And that was the last time I saw it until oh. years later. I learned how to paint enamel, and I fixed it for her. Oh, now that's cool. And uh, that's okay. That's awesome. And I matched the paint. I took it down to uh, uh, the hobby shop, and I'm like, "Look, I fracked this up when I was a kid. It's my mom's. It's important. We need to match this paint." You know, and this delightful man. If you've never been to a hobby shop, these are the coolest people ever. But you have to, because I mean, most of the time people come in there and want to spend a lot of money and get as good as the hobby gets and, you know, without actually understanding anything goes along with it. Yeah, you know? I, I always felt like uh, they have this at the good hobby shops. They have this, like, they can sense similar like-minded people. Yeah. Like, if you come in and you're just really into it and, and you're not there to just outdo your neighbor with exactly a more expensive yeah. remote controlled hull. They had a rocket that was this big. I want one twice as big, you know, if it, instead you're just really fascinated with how high you can make the rocket go and you come in and you're like, they, they're the ones that are like, let me show you this, you know? Yeah. And when you get a good hobby shop, like we, we did model rockets when I was briefly, when I was a kid, yeah. uh, cause we set the neighbor's field on fire, which is a story I think I've told on the cast, but, uh, you know, I go in and, and we had been doing some of the the ones you could get at like Walgreens, you know, back when you could still get them at Walgreens and stuff, or uh, you know, local drugstore type stuff that had a hobby aisle, and they didn't go very far. And I really wanted one that had a parachute that broke open so I could keep it, you know. And I wanted it to be a two stage rocket. And dude, I'm like, do you have anything of a parachute with two stages? You yeah, know? Estes makes a kit. I'm trying to remember what. Oh it's yeah, called. Estes. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. Did it have no the problem. clear payload section? No, it didn't. No, it didn't have a clear payload. Yeah, I forget what they're called, but the uh, because we we got them at space camp, we got them in boxes of uh, twenty five, <laughs> and they didn't have the names on them or branding or anything. Uh, but it was an Estes rocket. It's a two stage, uh, and it has a, a clear plastic payload area. I have built. I'm not kidding. We counted them. I have built over 500 of them. <laughs> well, I had one that was, it had a payload par- portion. It was a little tube, but it wasn't clear. It was, it was, it had a, uh, like a, I don't know, an Eagle or something like that painted all the way around it or whatever there was. And it was black. Anyway, huh. uh, it was, it was neat. It was super cool. It had a yeah, white, they were good. white cap on it and everything. He's like, here's what you need. And I'm like, I don't have a lot of money. I had like $12, you know, and it was yeah, not expensive. It was like eight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it's no big deal. Here's the, the kit and everything. And here's, and he gave They're actually me, pretty easy to build. Yeah. He gave me an engine and everything. And it was cool. We went to that hobby shop for years 
after that. I mean, it's still around. See, and I learned to build those that that style rocket. Uh, if it, it sounds similar, uh, I learned to build those with the things they let kids have. Yeah, like as an adult, you can use other tools that are far better, and you can build super badass, clean oh, sure. looking versions of it, like the one in the pictures. Yeah, uh, but you can build flyable versions of them that actually look pretty okay uh, with Elmer's glue, mm-hmm. uh, safety scissors. You know, no Exacto, no, uh, you know, no epoxy. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, you can. No you can sanding sealant. Do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And and it'll fly. It may not be the best looking thing ever, but it'll fly. It, they don't even you know? look bad if you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like you learn to break off a little stick of the uh, of the balsa and like rub the end of it on the table. And, and when you glue the fins on, as the glue is drying, when it's pretty dry but not dry yet you run your little little curved piece down them and it makes a little fillet in the corner that looks okay because you get a lot of extra glue yeah it's you, like caulking yeah if you use a exactly if you use yeah. uh if you use epoxy you they can make them thing square with model tanks by the way so really? you can yeah so you can do glue the sponson plates on right i yeah. didn't realize i i actually know one tiny thing about modeling i didn't mean to but because we built so freaking many of them at space camp as counselors, plus I can fix them yeah. like mad. Like the kids jack them all up, and oh, sure. every week you would go down and oh, they they put them in your team locker, you know, and you'd go up late because when the kids are nice, I mean, you want to see the rockets fly, yeah, and they want to see the rockets fly. Oh yeah, and they do their best to build them and everything, but they 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 mess them up, you know. Some of them do, especially the younger kids. Uh, they built single stage rockets for the younger kids because they didn't have to, yeah, be as accurate. Um, and they're less likely to blow up because they don't stage right. Um, but you can, uh, uh, we would go in there and we would pull them all out and you learn to fix them, but not just fix them, but fix them so they'll fly, first yeah. of all, and and fix them so that you can't tell you fixed them. Yeah. You know, it was great because they even, like, I think they had that in mind. They never told us to do that, but they had activities planned where you did not use the team locker for a day after you built the rockets. So when you went in and you fixed them, they could dry for a day before the kids would see them. Yeah. It worked out great. <laughs> but see, good hobby shops like that will will help you along with, with that, especially if you get a good crew in the hobby shop. that, And they, they have all kinds of things like you're talking about from remote control helicopters to rockets to gas-powered cars and, and fine-scale modeling, which I was always into, and, and you know building planes and regular modeling, wow. and all kinds of stuff, like trains, all of it. I was never into the trains, but they had everything else. Uh, they had trains too, but my dad was into the HO trains. I, I just never got there, but uh, slot cars were more my speed. <laughs> but, you know, I showed up to the same dude. Uh, his, his name was Eugene, and he had been there, God, you know, since the store opened, he owned it forever. Forever. You know? When you're a child, he's been there yeah. forever, and literally. He, for he knew me from the time I scratched the car to the time <laughs> I was going to fix it. I'm like, nice. look, you know, I, I messed this up. It's my mom's. I got to fix it. You know, and he sat with me for, I don't know, 30 minutes and we matched this paint. He would take the the paint. He would unscrew the the cap for the enamel, take a little dab, paint it on some metal and hit it with a hairdryer. And then we compare because it was red. It was red and white and red's a bitch. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. And you're sitting there and it's, and we're under a light. We both got a loop on, you know, we're both like, well, that's real close. Okay. Well, maybe if we add some of this, you know, you got to look at it in different lights too. Yeah. Different color temperature light. We'd drag it outside. We'd look it out, you know, in the fluorescence of the shop and we'd shine a flashlight on. Okay. Well, that's, 
I think that's good, you know? And I sat there in the store and repaired this car. That's awesome. And, uh, that's beyond I awesome. Finally gave it back to my mom, you know, cause my dad knew where it was and gave it to me and everything. So I fixed it and, and it was cool. But I mean, when you go to hobby shops and, and it's kind of a dying thing anymore, a lot of people just either order it off Amazon that's or, true. or something. And, uh, I, which is why I have never felt any kind of, uh, uh, badness or animosity towards like the uh, magic, the gathering or anything like that. Cause that saved hobby shops Yeah, for the last couple of years. It really has like the Bakugan and Pokemon comic and book stores too. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really did. And uh, I, the store is still around. It's moved, but it's still around to go there sometime. And uh, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty cool. That'd be fun. Uh, my, Many of my first models and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the first tank I sold, my first model tank as an adult, I sold to that place. Really? Yeah, and he made some money off of it, which made me happy, you know. Uh, I think uh, the kit was, which I bought from there, or my dad got from there for my birthday. The kit was like $30 or $40 or something. I sold it to him for, uh, I think, 80 and he sold it for 150 Badass. And it was uh, it was one of the ones like I did that Panther that was all dry brush, so it looked messed up. No, they look awesome, man. They look and, uh, badass, seriously badass. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, so he he was super happy, and I did a a, a tiger like that, and it was uh, but it was gray and it was uh, field dressed, and and I got some numbers that were correct, you know, not just the kit numbers, but an actual. I found a picture of an actual tank, and you know, did all the numbers and right and the right insignia and everything and uh it it turned out great did the the uh, you know how the germans did the um the white kind of squiggle uh, uh camouflage on the gray tank uh with brown modeled in there well i took my airbrush and you <laughs> know awesome did it on there and everything it turned out great and uh so dan he made some cash on it he was super happy and i was super happy and he was glad that you know that kind of quality came out of a kid that had frequented his shop. That's you know. awesome. Uh, so, uh, uh, it was, it was really cool. I mean, and this, that kind of s- shop where you can get toys like that, you know, like I, I had a love affair. I've never owned one, but I had a love affair with gas powered cars. I loved them. Oh yeah. You know, you know, like the little remotes and stuff. I, know were, uh, I never really up until I lived in Texas really was in a place where you could get enough run up that, the car would survive running into something or, or you could stop it in time before it ran into something. I had a Tamiya electric, uh, remote control car, real one. Yeah. Uh, I sold it when I was a camp counselor because I was so broke I didn't have any cash. <laughs> I and so I got, I got to give me like 150 bucks for it. It was like a three or $400 rig yeah. uh, with the remote and everything. I wish I kept it now. And, uh, but I, I needed the money real bad at the time, but it was one that, um, was a real one. I'm making finger quotes, you know, but like, uh, like it had real gas shocks that you assembled. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, and suspension had four wheel independent suspension and it was built like, uh, I'm, I'm not very good with off-road racing, but it was built like one of those kind of low, uh, off-road racers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the body looked cool on it, but you know, it doesn't really matter. What matters is underneath it. Yeah, it grasshopper had, style where it had the wing in the back and totally. Yeah. 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 And, and the nets had, on the windows and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, it, it went 30 miles an hour and like they do, it's not hard apparently. Yeah. And, 
and uh, could really the suspension had like an inch of travel and it was real. <laughs> Man, you could drop it from like it chest tight and it was like no, no, that's it wouldn't because it had gas shocks. So just boom. like literally, if you punched it like a car, it would just go down and back up. You know, because it had shocks, real shocks that worked. Yeah, not just springs with sticks on them, shock shocks. So if you dropped it, it would just be like, you know, and it would land, (laughs) which of course means you could jump the crap out of it. Yeah, six foot jumps are nothing. Oh, yeah, it was well balanced and everything, and it didn't weigh much. You know, like its weight to size was not, was way different than a real one. You know, like it had, it weighed far less for the power that it had. Power to weight was off the charts compared to a real one. If you scaled it up, it would have like 5,000 horsepower, you know? Yeah. And it's gearing kept it from going faster, which is good because it would get out of range and everything. I had one of the high buck, like Futaba controllers with the, the side wheel and everything. Hell yeah. And they uh, make some of the best controllers too. I had a bunch of those for remote control planes and stuff oh, like wow, that. Nice. They're beautiful. I've never flown a remote control plane. I flew really? a simulator one time. Uh, you know, the computer simulator that you learn on, you know, where you, you know, you know, they're not very expensive. You and I should build one. That would be awesome. I mean, I would I'd, be into that. I love building the planes. I don't like flying them. To be honest, as I, long as you don't mind, we'll probably crash it a lot. Dude, learning. I have crashed more planes than you have. It's harder than it looks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm a licensed pilot. Okay. I'm not stupid. Yeah, but I actually understand plane, how it though. works. It's different yes. when it's upside down coming slightly towards you and you yes. want to go left. You're like, yes, uh, that is a problem. <laughs> by then it's too late. It's flown by. You. That, that is an uh, issue. It's, it's, it's left is right and down is up. So, and then down is up is inverted for the flight control. <laughs> yeah. Down on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't do that, but I love building them. I love painting them, you and do that, and making the stuff like build a had. cheap one and learn. You know, so oh, yeah, we no, can it's... rebuild when, we, when I crash the crap. Oh yeah, I I built um when they first or the, when they just started coming out with the air core stuff. You know the the corrugated plastic. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, cool. Super awesome, easy to build, really hardy. You know, and they build it so like when you crash it, the wings snap off instead of deforming. Oh no, that's thinking. And, uh, you know, so you might lose your propeller and you'll lose whatever fuel you're carrying because, you know, the tank is, unless yeah. you got an inverted performance flight tank, it's, you know, you yeah, lose the fuel. No. Uh, but the wings snap off and so do the ailerons and, and all that stuff. So you just, it just pops off. It's held on by rubber bands and stuff. And uh, you don't deform the plane. I mean, you might, the, the, the landing gears are made to snap off and, and you might break a prop. That's about all you're going to do. Uh, so you're out four bucks instead of 150, you know, for a six foot wingspan air core plane, uh, you know, the kit might cost you 60 bucks and then the gear in it might cost you another hundred, but you can crash the thing 10, 12 times before it really gets unflyable. How much does something like that cost? Like with a good re- control rig and the whole thing. Mm. That would be worth spending money on because you could keep it for later and do other cool well, stuff. I wouldn't like start it. at the six foot stuff. I'd start like the three oh, foot yeah, ones. Yeah, sure, uh, and those aren't too bad. Uh, if you get like an 049 motor in it, right? Uh, which are the standard? Awesome. Yeah, I remember. I mean, yeah. I mean, you remember the? Oh type. yeah. Uh, you can get the motor for you know off eBay for like twenty thirty, but and the motors last forever. So you can get the motor for twenty thirty bucks. I might even have one. <laughs> And uh, the the most expensive part will be the the controller, which is normally about 120, 130 bucks. And then the plane kit itself might be fifty or sixty, maybe. 
Yeah, you know, maybe. I might, I might, uh, I might ask for some cash for Christmas or something, and maybe after that we we build one. Yeah, no, they're super cool, and we can go out and play with it. That'd be fun. Oh yeah, we can go to my dad's house. <laughs> He's got true. plenty of land out there. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, I actually discovered there's a big kind of open park area would be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, out near here, I, I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, you want to avoid trees? No, that. no, no. Check it out. It's like uh, between two house groups of houses. Uh, they wanted, obviously they all have backyards. Like, you know how in my neighborhood we're on these postage stamp lots. So on the ends, they require them to have an open fence to make it look bigger. Oh yeah. So they all have like uh, great fences and then big bushes that close them off to make it legal. Um, well there they have those, they wanted those fences in the back so people could like barbecue and look out over something pretty. So in between they have this long, like I'd say half a mile long, at least strip of land that has two squiggly little running paths on it. Nice. And uh, it's probably, I don't know, maybe three, 200 feet wide. It'd be perfect for flying a, a remote control plane. Hell yeah. No, you know, the small only, one. Yeah, the only thing you got to worry about is they have no, you know, some, if you have noise pollution loss. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That in, might be in an place. Issue. Now, my dad lives out in the country and he's You're got an airfield across probably. the street. So, well, so they're not going to bitch. They're not going to bitch, you know, and, and he actually <laughs> came over and he was the one who helped me fly my remote control at first. Yeah. Remarkably little transfers. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do aerobatics and stuff, that would be uh, useful because you actually do, I think, have to understand, boy, you really have to understand them for a low performance airplanes. Like really? Have yeah. To, like you want to understand what roll coupling is? Try doing an aileron roll in a Cetabria. Yeah. You know, now, you know, you're like, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a hand and foot coordination job to get it to happen and everything. You yeah. Know? And the, the power to rate, the power to weight on these little planes is enormous. Oh yeah. I mean, you want to go straight up, you can go straight up for as long. It ain't going to stall. It's like a yak or a pit yeah. S2C or something <laughs> yeah. like look like exactly. dick. It doesn't dick stall. Yeah. <laughs> It'll go completely out of your control range until the wind starts to break it. And then, you know, because you can't do any yeah, kind of control yeah, right. corrections. It'll start to break it. Then you just got to go chase it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can fly yourself out of your range, you know, with these little planes because they don't weigh anything. And you put this actually very oh, yeah. powerful little motor. Uh, but yeah, we, I looked on eBay a little while ago cause I, I got one for a friend of mine and I, if you don't mind used equipment that still works, which a lot of times hobby shops will, are going to crash it. Yeah. I mean, um, hello. the hobby shops will put on like used, uh, people will bring in planes to trade up for new ones and they'll bring in like the control unit and the, in the motor uh, as a set and you can get like the old stuff or, you know, like little stuff like that for, I don't know, 150 bucks for the set, you know, and you just build a plane put all the stuff and yeah i mean we used to build it so that you had um uh different like with the air core stuff because it's so big and it doesn't weigh anything you can actually carry a payload with a like a 0.50 well it would actually Uh, be fun too because bigger and less power would mean slower which would mean more reaction time which would be more interesting performance characteristics and yeah. everything yeah. which would be more fun i think for us uh sometimes yeah i normally built like a three foot plane with a small tiny inexpensive motor yes see that would be full and win. that's that's the the win you know because it's cheap and it's not going to break 
and it'll last forever, and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with it. Differences between kid Chuck and adult Chuck. <laughs> I want the biggest, freaking fastest well, thing ever. Fastest, biggest, most expensive, coolest looking, go like hell, <laughs> can do everything in the planet. blow up, man. <laughs> and as adult Chuck, I'm like, you know, I, I know a little bit about flying. It'd probably be more fun to have something that was slower so you could fly it in a smaller space, bigger so that you could see it, and it'd be fun to play with, but not expensive, and, you know, you could... <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot to that, but we, <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly correct. Just and, <laughs> which is eventually why I got the six foot air core one because I had smaller planes that were just too fast for me. I yeah, mean, they yeah, would yeah. react into stuff, and I'd fly them into a chain link fence and just shred it. <laughs> you know, because my dad has the big chain link fence yeah, out there, yeah. and landing was a problem because if you landed across it and you couldn't stop Not surprisingly landing an airplane is one of the diff- most difficult parts of flying yeah right? well i've never successfully landed a remote control airplane i have successfully crashed them to the point where <laughs> no damage, damage occurred yeah but landing no you know what it's funny they uh you spend an inordinate amount of time learning to fly learning to land because it, it is extremely difficult yeah. compared to other things. It's not that bad, but compared to other things, right? Because think about it. When you when you actually sit down and consider it as an adult, you're like, well, what does this involve? Okay, well, number one, you're flying at a slow speed on the backside of the power curve when the airplane is the least responsive, requires the most planning, and does the most counterintuitive things. Right. You're also doing all of that very close to the ground. Yeah. Which is also an issue, Right. And beyond that, you have other things that change up during the landing process, like ground effect, for example. You know, when you get close to the ground, uh, the wing acts different. It actually acts longer than it is and allows, you know, produces more lift because of an interaction with the ground and things like that. So you have to pass through all of that. Not only do you have to put the airplane on the backside of the power curve, create a situation that will put you in the presence of the ground at the point you want it to be. Right. Then you have to go through the transition of ground effect and the transition of stalling the airplane so that you transfer from airplane to car. And then you have to drive the car with your feet when it's a really crappy car. Yeah. And you have to do all this at the right speed. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, it's front loaded if you've got... (laughs) God help you if you have a tail dragger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like driving your car backwards. It's <laughs> yeah, negatively it's stable. It's, it's bad. It's bad. And you have the whole issue of when the tail drops and when it doesn't, all that good stuff. And, I mean, so it's it's not surprising. I mean, I get, and then adding to that, you know, changing it in your mind spatially because you're not in it and, and not being able to feel what's happening or have an airspeed indicator or all that other good stuff. It's probably a bitch. Yeah. I'd be fun to try, though. The only I'd thing, get a kick out of learning. Yeah, oh, no, it's great. <laughs> it's super fun. And it, the only way I figured out to do it as a kid, and, of course, I wasn't very patient at the time either. You're like, you want to go like hell and try to do loops? Oh, yeah. You don't yeah. care about winning. Yeah, I don't now care about winning. Now we'd be like, let's go land 5,000 times just for the hell of it now, and try to learn. Let's just try not to explode the damn thing. <laughs> you know, it'd be know, fun to learn. Rip know? a wing off. That, if we don't rip a wing off, that's a win, you know? Uh, goals are things to do while you enjoy yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, I would, uh, go and get it and just pull the speed down, get it going kind of at, you know, top of the house level. Right. You know, so it would miss fences and everything like that. And then get it going as slow, just gradually bring the power down over the street, uh, as it's coming kind of towards you and then gradually bring the power down. So, and then 
kind of work the flap so it's standing almost on its tail, which oh, you can God. which you can do with a, a oh yeah sure a remote control plane. I mean, you can just have them doing this and then just cut it entirely and it'll belly flop onto the ground. Interesting landing technique. Not, it, not recommended in an airplane. Not but recommended okay. in an airplane. But if you're, <laughs> but if there's nobody in and you're just worried about, please don't snap the wings off. Please don't snap the wings off. And it just belly flops. It'll belly flop onto basically distributed the weight. Because if it lands on its motor, you're breaking the prop. Mm. And if I'm it's with you. and if you don't happen to have another one, or that was the thirty dollar prop. You know, like it was an expensive wooden prop, not one of those cheap plastic ones. Like we always ran wooden props because I thought they were pretty. I I have a thing with wood. Uh, so you snap one of those props, you're done, you know, if, for the day. And it's it's soul crushing because you snapped a $20, $25 prop. Too bad you can't put a kill switch on it and just get it close and then kill it. Oh, you can. <laughs> oh, you can. I, I can. We started doing can, all kinds of stuff with it. And I stopped using wooden props, so we use plastic props and just <laughs> nose dive it into the ground. But the thing is, if it sudden stops like that, the wings will come off with it. Uh, so we just do that. But uh, it was... It was a lot of fun. You could uh, you could do stuff like with the like what I was saying with the six foot air core one. You could cut out a place in the bottom and make a a payload bay, and you could stick because all it is with the with the controller the how do you say Futaba Futaba Futaba. That's what I always say. Yeah. I don't know if that's correct. I don't know if it's correct or not. But if with the Futaba controllers, you could as long as you could hook a servo up to it, you could do anything. Sure. Yeah. So we would make. Uh, hollow out the bottom and then put camera in there, you know, like the old film camera and just put it in a clamp. And then the, the servo would tighten a piece of the clamp and take a picture. So we could have aerial photography, which never turned out to be anything but a blurry mess. Cause I was always same way with the fast, rockets you know? that had the one ten cameras in them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I mean, but we would stick a Vivitar, <laughs> a Vivitar 35 millimeter. It was big enough. You know, it could hold it. Wow. It didn't care. We'd stick a Vivitar 35 millimeter in there, which is, we could actually get decent pictures out of and take pictures over the house. Um, we take pictures of the neighbor's airfield. You, you know, know what people do now? Let me tell you some of the badass stuff people do now. We would also have bombing runs where we would drop a water balloon. Cool. I have done that with uh, actual airplanes. Um, no, 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 no. It used to be one of the like, uh, little local fly in day, not the big ones that, you know, big air shows. It's no, no. I mean like a fly in where everybody would come to some little nowhere airport and dick off together. Sure. Uh, you know, the only thing it was, it, it's, it's like a hit gathering without drinking, you know, cause nobody can drink cause they're all flying. But like, uh, one of the things they would do is, uh, flower bags. Nice. Like you take bags and foam, like I'll do bombing runs. Yeah, yeah. and and what Bomb they would do is they would put a target like next to the runway. Oh, sure. So everybody would make low passes over final the runway, <laughs> twenty feet up to the side, and you you have a passenger like in a one fifty or whatever you got. Low wing, uh, high wing airplanes are great, right? Sure. You can open the door. Most people you could don't do it notice. in a piper, but you can. <laughs> most people don't. Re- you can actually. <laughs> most people don't up. realize this, but <laughs> uh, but like you can open the door. Pretty, yeah. pretty easily. You have to push real hard to hold it open. Well, you're only doing 60, 70 miles an hour. At some yeah, especially points. in a 150, you can yeah. do it. Uh, but, but Which one's the itty-bitty one? Is it the 152? 150, yeah, 150, 152. Yeah. Yeah, 150 has a straight back, and the 152 has yeah. an angled. Yeah. Uh, it's a later model. They're about the same size. but yeah. A little bitty. Uh, yeah, and a two-seat-ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, More like one and a half, but yeah. <laughs> I, I could actually fly it with you and not be overgrossed now. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. 
but uh, you always are. You're used to it. But you can open the door. You can also leave the window open, but you could open the door and drop the bags or you could hold them out the window and drop them. And, um, and I used to do pretty well because my dad, uh, my dad was a uh, uh, forward air controller. Control, yeah. yeah. And he talked about how I remember him talking about how when they run out of the White House for smoke rockets, uh, they would use uh, he would use the wheel as a sighting technique and you drop white phosphorus grenades and i thought hey i could use the wheel too and it works he's right you know you can judge <laughs> how far out and uh it's pretty cool anyway uh we we've done that and uh that's a lot of fun yeah and not as far out as it sounds it sounds like <laughs> oh my god you did what it's good fun yeah you know? but it, you can do all those things with the model ones uh, as long as you can figure out a way to do it with a servo which now you could do, okay. you could do the digital circuit boards and stuff yeah, like that, and you so can do all kinds of crazy crap. There are crap. people out there that uh, build Arduino-based drones. Yeah, and there's software and firmware available now to do that mm-hmm. easily, like yeah. for a Super couple easy. hundred bucks. Yeah, you can build a little like drone with GPS and everything. You can tell go to this place and take a picture, and go here and take a picture, and then come back and shut off. You know, and, yeah. And uh, holy crap, dude! I mean, seriously, people are building them with little uh, with little video transmitters in them, where you can fly it like you're sitting in it. Mm-hmm. Um, just one guy even did one that was uh, that had a camera on a swivel that had a head sensor that you wore goggles and you could look like around <laughs> like you were sitting in the uh, yeah yeah. They're better sensors now than they had back in the Apache days, but yeah. cheaper. But holy crap. Apache's actually an old aircraft now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's kind of long in the tooth, and they can shoot them out of the sky with a shoulder anything. mounted anything now. BB so. gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, you you can do all that kind of stuff with a with a good. I want to play with, with toys. Show. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was always kind of cool to build the the plane you always wanted to see. You know, like uh, uh, I had to, you know, the monocoque things. You you could spread the thing, and it would tighten and shrink over the spars, and yeah, fabric and dope. Basically, but just it was like they used to use on actual aircraft. Yeah, but it was plastic <laughs> and you hit it with a hairdryer. Oh, right. Yeah, the shrink. And it yeah, just, right, right, right. And it just shrink idea. down and everything. And I'd use like uh, multi layers of it so I could make kind of a pearlescent. Oh, wow. That's cool. Color. And I would do like a, I did a Delta wing. I did a, uh, uh, a, uh, oh God, what was the, what was the World War II trainer that was uh, low wing, uh, piston driven up front, uh, Crap. What vintage? World War Two. Oh well, uh, T six. Might be. Was it a radial? Yes, T six. Okay, yeah, I did one of those. Yeah. I mean, I didn't put a radial up front, but I mean, no, it, yeah, it was, but it was the body was sure. that, and it turned out beautiful. So I mean, you it's the one do, that they always have at uh, at like airfields where they give rides in them. Yep, for World War Two rides. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I built one of those. <laughs> uh, it was really cool, and it was a uh, pearlescent black type thing a neat thing i'd painted a, a flaming skull on the bottom i mean you can do all that stuff with the model, model see later plans. they had the t-34 which was essentially a beach bonanza but with <laughs> yeah. a it's the same airplane but with a thing in the straight tail in the straight tail yeah that's why they call it the mentor tail you hear them calling the t-34 is called the mentor nobody actually calls it that but that was the name you've heard that i'm sure <laughs> yes i have yeah because like can... the the traveler has the mentor tail nice I, it's well, square in the back, which is better than yeah, the way angled better one. Than, yeah, and it's yeah. anything's better than that. Anyway, freaking V tail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yuppie killers. Um, yeah, the but, a, the a, a thirty five or whatever it is with the straight tail that kills them too. 
It's really? just a high-performance airplane. It's not the V-tail <laughs> that kills them. Stay away from it. It's a high-performance airplane that dumbasses fly who don't have more money than brains and don't Yeah, run. Well, it, it does. It, it worked. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I always used to love the, the model planes, although I, I'm not graceful at flying them. I'm halfway decent at building them, but I'm, I'm not graceful at flying them. But it was a lot of fun. Finally, uh, Audra and I sat down a little bit, actually, the next day, and we talked uh, again a little bit about toys that she had when she was a kid. I want to apologize in advance that Audra did not have much time. Uh, Our schedules were really screwed up this week, and uh, anyway, we sat down for what little time we had. I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes, and uh, talked a little bit about toys she had when she was a kid. first time I got really excited about toys, I think, in my whole life, were these toys that were not mine, but were my cousin's toys. And they were older boy cousins. Who, <laughs> it's actually funny come to think of it because they're like your age, <laughs> right? But, um, but they were probably... That's awesome. Yeah, they were like 13, 12 years old or something. And I was like four or five. Oh, wow. And uh, and they had the coolest stuff. Um First of all, they had Hot Wheels cars, and they shared a room, which I think they didn't like, but I thought was really cool, you know? Yeah. And That always sounds, just like roommates and guys, sounds way better on paper. Than, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they had this car station, this like whole setup where it was like a garage and a repair shop and like a car wash. And it had an elevator, like this little plastic platform, and had a crank. And if you turned it, like it would go like. I remember that. Yeah, I never it was had really it. Popular, but I totally remember it being one that my friends had and that everybody was into. Yeah, the elevator, and then you'd you'd bring the car up to the top, and then there was a slide, yeah. or like a thing where uh-huh. it would go through the car wash or whatever, and then it would slide down the bottom. And uh, the other thing that they had that I loved was uh the whole He-Man Castle Grayskull set oh, wow. with they had all the action figures they had the big castle set up and everything and I think it was just because playing or, or watching them play with their toys was like watching the kids on the commercials they, <laughs> they were like they were having so much fun I was like wow and I didn't have toys that were exactly like that because obviously they're you know 12 year old boys and 5 year old girls don't get the same toys you know not usually. Like, yeah. It could <laughs> not, happen. Not usually, right. And uh, and I remember they had a, a real train set, you know, like a, a little electric train set um, with real tracks, like a model train, you know, and oh, that was one of the most fun things in the world. And it wasn't because I, I didn't know a lot about trains, you know, it wasn't that. It, was, it wasn't like a cultural, like, ooh, this reminds me of you know, nostalgic, you know, trains in America or whatever. It was just inherently cool. There was like these little electric machines that you would put on tracks and then you would make the tracks go into all these places in the house where they weren't supposed to go. (laughs) You know, like my aunt and uncle's bedroom, you know, into the kitchen when they were trying to cook or all these places that would get in the way of the adults, you know. And and I don't know how they, they must have had, 
a thousand feet of this track. Holy crap. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it probably wasn't much at all. See, but. I had a train set when I was a kid, but it was, it was like small. A loop. Yeah, it was a little thing. Well, maybe a little more than that, but not much. And uh, I know Sean didn't get into trains that much either. Uh, now, they had a big thing for slot cars, but uh, trains, I had one, but I never did anything big with it. I never had the big setup or anything. Yeah, I think maybe that's one of those kind of cost prohibitive toys, you know, unless yeah, you have like a lot of space and a lot of track and a lot of extra little parts and stuff. You know, maybe a parent who's really into it too. It's probably not as yeah. fun. Cuz yeah, I've seen the small train setups and they're not exciting. But but somehow just being able to run this train through their entire house, you know. <laughs> and I remember it was kind of exciting because my cousins, I could help lay the track wherever I wanted, but I wouldn't get in trouble because it was their house. So my <laughs> nice. uncle would always be like, rah, rah, rah to them, you know, <laughs> and I'd be like, hee, because I get the excitement of. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about the memories of playing with other kids' toys. Like, and, and I, you know, there was always that kid that would break everything, you know, like yes. if you let them have it, they'd break it. I was so, friends with that kid. <laughs> yeah. He was nice, but. If you don't know a kid like that, you probably are that kid, you know, <laughs> that's how I think how it works. And I, I guess, you know, I was thinking during this whole arc and discussion today too, how I generally never had, my parents were kind of cool about it, I guess, in hindsight. Like, I never had the super high-end stuff, but I always had some of it, you know? Like, I had Matchbox cars, but I didn't have the garage thing. You know, I had yeah, a couple yeah. of action figures, but I never had, like, a zillion action figures, and I never had the big ships or anything. Yeah, you know? it was always like that for me, too. I think that's probably smart in, in hindsight, you know, because I got a lot of fun out of it. And, you know, one of the neighbor kids always had it. You'd end up playing with it anyway. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder if there isn't something kind of special about being one of those, you know, being one of the many kids who only has like a couple pieces of the set. And then it kind of, it sort of forces you to socialize, you know. It's a social interactions ready to go yeah. in a box, ready to, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Because I knew there were a couple of kids who had everything and they didn't seem happier. You know? Well, I mean, and I, I'm not saying I didn't have cool stuff because I did. I mean, I had like the car my dad built me. So, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. But I mean, but like, like they would have the whole set of yes, whatever came out. Like we know? didn't go to the store and spend, I think, commonly for the big high buck, like you got to have it toys. I don't remember having those. Right. Right. I have more of those now. You know, <laughs> it's funny. I think one of my most cherished toys was my little um, royal blue plastic carry case of legos and it was just that real basic kit that a lot of people had it came with the green square that was basically a yard and you could build a house on it, it had a couple little flowers and, and little accessories but most of them were just like the sims yeah yeah oh my god i never thought about that because i i always did have loved the sims and the sim related sim city and all that but yeah i mean it was like red yellow green and blue i think and Makes that's sense. It. Yeah, I mean the the Legos were just those real it was that basic set that everybody oh, yeah, had but sure. um even when I was the age where you are you know they market Duplo to you. Yeah, right, sure. I didn't like Duplo. As soon no. as I saw real Legos, I was like, "Oh my god. Like that's it, you know?" <laughs> Legos are surprisingly durable. I mean, you have to really try to break them. You know? Yeah, I think Legos hurt people more than people hurt Legos. You know, you get pinched on them. And <laughs> you have like an old Lego injury? 
No, no, I just mean like you spend a lot of time like getting pinched or like trying to pry apart the flat pieces with your fingernail and stuff. And Good point. I had <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. I was a super patient kid though, so you know, I would actually do that stuff. I I remember I bought you this little TIE fighter, we go TIE fighter a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, we built it and we had so much fun like following the instructions and building it. I still like would love and I it's probably one of the few high buck toys I would drop cash for right now if I had it. Like I would love to build one of those massive like the Death Star or the uh the Millennium Falcon of course would be my first choice, you know. Those huge ones, not the little one, the huge ones, though they're like five hundred bucks or whatever, yeah, you know, four yeah. three hundred. The but, ones that are like four feet across. Yeah, or that whatever. would take a while to build, yeah. you know, because it would be fun to like sit together and figure that out and do it. That, that was so much amazing. fun, even with that little one, you know. If I could have any Lego set, I think it would be that giant Adat. Really? Yes. Oh, when we saw that on display, though, and it was big too, it was like cool, the yeah. three foot tall Adat, and it comes with a, a little Luke action <laughs> figure with a string. You can hang <laughs> when you're from done, it. Yeah, yeah, you hang it from the Adat's awesome. abdomen. And <laughs> Put on a pair really of Crocs. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It's funny though. Yeah, I, I always I was a little bit of a tomboy, I guess, when it came to when it came to toys and the kind of stuff that I love playing with the most. I mean, I, I played with traditional stuff too, but, uh, yeah, the building toys and I'm trying to think if there were things that just didn't interest me. Um, I wasn't ever interested in like the really hardcore kind of boy marketed toys, like, um, toy motorcycles and, um, dirt bikes and anything to do with planes or engines or stuff like that, which you totally are not oh, surprised yeah. at. You know? Yeah, but I was into those, of mm-hmm. course. You know what interested me is how a year ago or, or whenever it was that we put together that little TIE fighter, mm-hmm. how how much faster you were. At, like you would look at the instructions and you, um, we would find the pieces in the pile at the same rate. But when right. it came to putting them together, manipulating the shape and, and turning it around in your hand and finding where it went, you moved almost twice as fast <laughs> as I did. And I wonder if there are things that you do as a kid that build up those skills. That's a good question. Or you even know, like, as an adult. You or know? As, as an adult, yeah. Or, you know, because I imagine that most people have the same kind of general inherent ability, you know, for spatial manipulation and dexterity and all that stuff. But um, it makes you wonder. You know, if when you're a kid, if you play with a lot of Legos and a lot of Tinker Toys and um, kind of models, you know, painting little models, or or if you do all that kind of fine motor work, how does that affect you as an adult, other than being able to put together Legos really fast as a grown up? I don't know. It's a good question, though. I bet it'd be cool if they had some kind of study to look at like uh, I'm sure they surgeons do. or something and, yeah. and correlations with like what kind of toys did surgeons play operation. with. Operation. <laughs> operation. I didn't like operation because the sound, this probably won't surprise you either. I, I've always spoken kind of softly and I move kind of softly and I have, I tend to be sensitive, you know, more th- than other people to like really loud environments. You know, I don't know why. An operation just kind of freaked me out because it was so loud and dissonant. And my, my friend, uh, the kid who broke everything, yeah, had operation, even though like five of the pieces were missing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
But wow. he, he wasn't good at it because he was clumsy, you know. I always remember in Scrubs watching Turk Poi Operation <laughs> take everybody's money. I don't know, though. Scalpel Jackie. I, I spent a lot of time playing with Legos when I was a kid, so that might help, too. Like, I mean, there are things that you kind of come back to you when you haven't played with them in a while, like like learning to count the count the nubs on them to figure out how many they are <laughs> yeah. or, or you know, looking at how they fit together from the bottom side. So when you're interpreting one of the little drawings that they give you now, you know, you can, that can help. And I don't know, it could be stuff like that too. Yeah. You know? I just wasn't as good at, at looking at the drawing and figuring out like which way I need to turn it to make it look like that. Oh, in my right, hand. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh my God. Play-Doh. Were you a Play-Doh fan? I had Play-Doh. Oh. Yes. It helped that I really <laughs> liked the smell of Play-Doh. Really? <laughs> I wasn't one of those kids who tried to eat it, but I did. You did. <laughs> did you ever make that stuff? Did you ever make the salt-based home homemade Play-Doh that you could make? And yeah, I tried it, but... You could eat it, you know? Yeah. It was gross. It was too salty. Yeah. I tasted it, yeah. And it would always, I don't know, it would always dry up. It was always yeah, kind of gross. Totally it, it wasn't did. exactly right, but, but oh, the glory of real Play-Doh. Hmm. And I remember meticulously trying to keep the colors separate. Once I was old enough to learn oh, yeah. how to do that, keeping them separate. And my little brother would try to play with it and yeah. he'd always mash them together in that, that big like multicolored like tie dye ball. And I'd be like, no, that's where the uh, inspiration for the Google Chrome logo came from. I think. Really? I'm kidding. Oh, it could <laughs> I was be. Just like, That'd be cool. It totally could be though. Yeah. My, I think my favorite thing to make with Play-Doh, though, was uh, like food objects. I'd make like stuff that looked like food, hamburgers <laughs> and hot little, dogs. they have little like molds that you could make food from? They did, I think. I seem to remember that. But yeah, I never had any of those. Um, I remember playing with someone else's uh, little like, I don't know, it was kind of a spaghetti thing, except I think it might have been hair. It was like a, a little plastic head or whatever with all the little holes in it. And then it was kind of like a like a mold, you know, um, like there were two identical pieces and then you kind of clamped them together and, and you squished the clay in between and then it would all come squishing out like out of the pores. So, um, I never had any of the molds, but I remember someone did and I was playing with it. The, I loved that stupid little spaghetti thing that you could crank and it would like shoot out Play-Doh in like these long strings. And- I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Mm. Oh, and you know what? What? I don't even know what this game... I I need to research it and find out, but I had this little handheld digital game um, in the early or mid, mid early Football or 80s. baseball? Neither. It was two little, like, almost stick figures, kind of, uh-huh. um, I that w- would fight. Oh, wow. I think. Yeah. And it was, um, it was probably like, I don't know, nine inches long and like four inches wide and you'd hold it. It was kind of like a thick, clunky kind of tablet. You were supposed to hold it between you and two of you play it? Maybe. Huh. Maybe. I don't, I don't um, remember that. I'll have to, I can't remember it very well because I mean, I'm, I'm like seriously reaching back into when I was like three or four years old, but my dad had it and he let me play it all the time. And it was, it had, um, I think it might've had two sides on it, like you're saying. But it was a handheld thing, and on either side there was like a black plastic thing, and like a sort of a like a shade, like a visor that you look down into, and then you'd oh. see the the little green figures that were. Um, it was only one color, you know, and it had like two buttons on it, 
and they would move back and forth. And I remember just thinking that that was so awesome, you know, and that was before the, the fascination of Atari and everything for me. But, um, that was the first handheld digital game I ever had these little figures kind of going back. I mean, they were only half an inch tall, you know, I, I don't remember that. I certainly remember the football and baseball games and the baseball game. I never had the patience to figure out the football game. You could figure out, uh, it had like, you know, you were essentially a little led dash and you, right. you would run around the other little led dashes. And of course, because you know, it was only a couple inches wide and there were only probably like, I don't remember 10 or 12 dashes. You, you had to like run many times up the field to, to make a hundred yards, you know, so you would sit there and run back and forth <laughs> yeah, and you could do these yeah. pass plays and other stuff. I never figured it all out, but I remember kids used to play the crap out of those. It's really cool, you know, cause I it, like to remember how exciting it was when you found something that you were into, like one of those games that was just little lines on the screen, you know, like the early. Yeah. I mean, if people talk about Atari being that way, well, hell, there was like weird stuff way before that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. There was something exciting back then, like the first time you ever see that stuff and you, your imagination fills in so much of it. And I know that's kind of cliche, but you know, if you've never seen stuff that's more advanced than that, it is pretty exciting. Well, I know you don't have a bunch of time today, but you know what? Um, I want to ask one real important question that I think we should ask, which is what was the most memorable toy that you had? Oh man. And I, I'm for anybody listening, I'm springing this on Audra. So she hasn't had any planning. What do you remember the most as being like, you played with it the most. You like, I like, like with Toolmonger, a lot of times we would talk about, oh, this is a great tool. This is a great, but the one that stays out, the one that you use all the time, that's the one that's important, you know? Yeah. What toy was like important like that? You know, I don't know if I had one that just kind of lasted longer than all the others or anything like that, but. I, the most memorable one, I think, was this little doll that I had. And I must have, I, I can, as far back as I can remember, I've always had it. So I must have gotten it before I was really aware, you know. And it was a little strawberry shortcake doll. <laughs> and nice. it, it was like kind of a classic baby doll, you know. It was like about a foot long. And um, she had like kind of rubbery plastic limbs. And she was wearing a little like a uh, pink onesie with strawberries on it and uh you know and she had like big eyes painted on and um little freckles and red curly hair and a, a little bonnet and stuff but um and they might still make this dollar version of it but there was some kind of uh, scent put in her oh, really? so and there was a little hole a tiny little hole perforation in her mouth so her lips were kind of pursed and if you squeezed her belly it would go like that, and, and a little like whiff of this strawberry scent would come out of her mouth. Wow. And it smelled so good. It was like, if you've ever had really good like strawberry taffy or oh, wow. um, like, uh, what's that? Or like a starburst almost, okay. you know? And I would say that that was the most memorable because the the smell of it was so nice that I just, I always kept that doll around and you know, I was really little 
But I, I hung on to that from whenever I got it, like two or three years old until probably, I, I don't know, I must have been 12 or something before I finally put it away. Um, but I would still get it out and, and that smell just, it all, it was like eternal. <laughs> I don't know what they put inside her, but. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. I don't know, some chemical or something, but I love that doll. That was my favorite. So there you have it, podcast number 331, a slightly different format, which I hope you enjoyed. Uh, You will get the same kind of format next week for 332 because we have, in fact, already recorded 332. Uh, And Audra and I are probably right now, uh, hopefully or soon. Well, that's not true. Actually, this goes out today. So uh, later this week, Audra and I will be enjoying San Diego Comic-Con. When you get 332, we will be at San Diego Comic-Con. And again, if you would like to uh, come out for the recording of our segment that we record at the uh, at SDCC every year when we get to go, uh, that is Friday, July 13th at 7.30 p.m. at Buster's Beach House. Same place as last year, incidentally. Uh, everything's reserved under GWC, so if you don't know what's going on, just ask for GWC, and they should point you into the right direction. I uh, hope everybody has a good week, and uh, we will indeed see you next week. On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producer Soleil, forum moderators Badgerspoon, Pike, and Frackentalos, GWC book club maven Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. We're always re-watching a group reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash Encoder.